skip the blue bin, and instead use the Kids Sport Recycling Program pickup service. Once your bag is full of empties, just text 403-680-8776, 403-680-8776 to schedule your pickup. Then sit back and relax because they will take care of the rest. Their pickup service covers residential areas, schools, sporting facilities, golf courses, and businesses. All the funds collected from this program are donated to Kidsport Calgary to help make it so all kids can play. Just four bags can put a child in soccer or swimming lessons. You can make a local child's sports dreams come true simply by donating your empties. Get started today by texting 403-680-8776, 403-680-8776, or visiting www.kidsportrecycling.ca. This podcast is provided in part by Sport Calgary, partners of Kids Sport Calgary. Sport Calgary, tired of searching dozens of websites for local sports events? Visit www.sportcalgary.ca and find hundreds of local events, everything from community gatherings to summer camps to tournaments. Sport Calgary presents the Face First Podcast with your hosts Alicia Rissling and Grace Defoe. And here they are sliding right on in, Grace and Alicia. Welcome back to the Face First Podcast. My name is Grace Defoe and I have my co-host here with me and a special guest. Hey, it's Alicia Rissling and today we are joined by Scott Stiles. Scott, thanks for joining us. You bet. Thanks for having me. Scott is a two-time Alberta amateur champ and a former Div 1 um, golf athlete from uh, that went to school at Oral Roberts in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and spent four seasons on the PGA Tour Canada. How, how was that for you? Like, that's a pretty incredible um, resume, I'd say, to start. Yeah, it was, it was good. It was golf was, well, it still is my life, but for a while there, it was just the playing side of it. Um, I had a lot of fun. I got to travel a ton of places. Uh, like you said, played my college golf down in Oklahoma, which was very different than life in Calgary, but it was fun. And then turned pro and got to play out on the Canadian tour, what it was called then, now the PGA Tour Canada. Played out there for the better part of four years. So it was, uh, it was a good time. It showed me how good some of the golfers out there really are. Um, it's a tough... It's a tough gig to try and do that for a living. That's for sure. I don't miss, I don't miss that side of it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's so many in the States, especially golf is so big. So like even there who might be ranked so like middle of the pack, they're still like so much better than some of us in Canada. Although Canadian golf has had a surge in the last couple of years, I will note. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. Like it's, it's crazy. Like it's something that, um, like most of, most of the Canadian tour, PG tour, Canada, it's like 85% Americans anyways. Like it's, you get all like the best players that come up cause it's, it's like home, right? They don't have to go to Europe. They don't have to go to South America. They don't have to go to Asia, you know, it's, and their dollar goes a long way up here. And so the competitions, it's insane. Like from just your average or even like top of the line amateur to trying to make a living playing golf. Like it's, it's not even close and it's tough it's tough for people to understand because everybody can play golf and everybody kind of knows somebody who could, you know, maybe shoot around par, maybe shoot under par here and there. And it's like the line between that is insane. How, how far that stretches. At what point did you like 
realize in your career that like you could actually move on to that division one college level like did you know that necessarily when you were playing or were you playing and just having fun and then it kind of like happened that you know you could go get a college education and play golf um it kind of as I got so I played like I'm sure we'll talk about I played every sport growing up um I was really big into hockey Uh, I just went to high school out at Notre Dame in Saskatchewan so I went to board school out there and played like I say, every sport. Like you're lucky out there because in grade twelve I played uh, golf in the fall. I played football. I played hockey. I played a ton of badminton growing up. I played baseball. I played lacrosse. Just you had access to so many things out there. And um, I kind of once I got out to there, I realized I wasn't going to be a hockey player as I got cut down to the worst team possible because <laughs> um, I was small and slow, which isn't very good for hockey. Um, and so as I got older, I started getting better and better at golf and more and more into it you know i was competing provincially you know playing our alberta junior played a couple canadian juniors and i just kind of kept getting better um so once i got to about 16 17 you know grade 11 grade 12 that's when i wanted i knew i wanted to go try and play golf um on a scholarship um and i didn't have anything out of right out of high school so i took a year off um where i just went and i went and worked at the bar for the entire year i worked at the old kaylee's downtown calgary um nice. which was nice because i was able to save up enough money that i had my own money when i went to school so i didn't have to you know rely on my parents for absolutely everything um and then that's when i again kept getting better at golf i actually went to simon fraser out in vancouver for one year um that was kind of my first offer and then they canceled the golf program while i was there and so that i transferred down to oklahoma for my last few years but it was just kind of a steady progression as i started playing better and better golf and then you know, that was kind of what you do if you're if you're doing that is try and work somewhere to get to get down on a scholarship. OK, I have three questions out of all this story. because That was pretty incredible. Okay. Um, when you so how old were you when you first like started to swing a club? I was honestly like three years old, probably two and, or three years old. And did that come from are your parents passionate about golf? My dad, my dad was a golfer. Yeah, my dad was a golfer and I got two sisters. And mm-hmm. so I'm pretty sure my mom was just like, well, if you're going to the golf course, you're taking a kid. <laughs> so I like I grew right up out there. I grew up out of Bears Pond in, in the Northwest. And so like literally from the time I could walk, mm-hmm. I was out there. And then as I got older, I spent my entire summers at the golf course. Oh, that's pretty awesome. So when you went to Notre Dame, um, everyone I know that went there, uh, went there solely for hockey. Was that kind of your intention when you went there? A little bit. Like I, I was a good enough hockey player in Calgary. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I played on kind of the top teams in the community um, mm-hmm. before we moved on to the quadrant system okay. this year. Uh, so that was that was a big part of it. But um, I think just kind of to get away was was a big reason. And then it's a place like once you plug in, if you buy into what they're doing, you can have an amazing time. If you want to fight it and you want to fight the rules and stuff, you can have a terrible time. But for me, who looked like a kid who played every sport possible, it was it was awesome. I had a, an amazing time. That's awesome. And then, so when we went to SFU, were currently NAIA and CAA, or were they still CIS? They were, we played in NAIA. You played in NAIA? Yeah. So, so you did played, have kind of like that American connection to start playing against yeah, before so you made played, the transition to Dip 1? Yeah, when I was there, so it was us, UBC and UVic all played in the NAIA. Um, and so we, most of our tournaments were down in like, played in Washington, Idaho. We went to... Like I think one in Oregon, one in California, but like I said, our program was like slashed when I got there. Like they had a the coach that they didn't like, and the athletic department didn't like when they just decided to cut it. So literally, they fired the coach like two weeks before 
I was supposed to go out to university. I found out from mm-hmm. another guy who was a who was in his last year on the team, or a guy from Red Deer, who's actually the head coach there now. Um, but he told me at the Canadian Amateur, he's like, I don't know if you've heard, but they just fired Keith, the coach, and so we don't really know what's going to happen. And this was like a week before I'm supposed to go to university. And so our our coach was, it was a couple guys who had played on the team a couple years before that, and their office, they joked, was this like portfolio, like little like file cabinet bin that they carried around. Like that was it. So it was a it was an interesting time to be out there, but we still... We still had enough guys that were playing, but we weren't, we didn't really feel like we were part of the athletic department. And it was a disaster when I was out there too. <laughs> That's amazing. But persevere through it anyway. And look yeah. at you now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so when you headed down South, uh, what did you take in school? And did you always know that you were going to pursue golf even when you got outside of it? Um, I, so I took, uh, I've got a business marketing degree. Uh, so that's what I took, um, when I was down there and then I wasn't sure I, it was always on kind of the back of my mind. Cause that's when, again, I, I kind of just kept getting better as I got older. Like I didn't win really anything as a junior. Um, I think I won our club championships once that's it. Like I didn't like any of that stuff. And so as I got better, I, you know, I knew it was kind of on my mind that this is something I wanted to pursue. Uh, and then I graduated in 2009 and then I didn't turn pro until 2011 um, because I had um, this health issue come up in the middle where I had to, I had this nerve disease that kicked in and I had to go and get a whole bunch of treatments for that to kind of where my game got the summer I was going to turn pro, which was 2010. After that uh, was brutal because basically my, I lost everything explosive in my body that I, oh my I couldn't do. And so once I kind of got that figured out and then the next summer was when I turned pro. So it was always, as a college golfer, it's always on the back of your mind, but it's even from there, like from college golf to professional golf, it is a massive step up. Like it's, um, it's not something easy, but again, it's kind of something I had thought about for a long time and, you know, wanted to give it a shot. Amazing. Um, when, so then you go on and you compete on these tours and when you compete on these tours, I know Grace and I are amateur athletes. Um, and we know that, you know, you can't really afford to do these things on your own. So maybe do you want to talk a little bit about how you afforded to be on these tours? We know you're not in it for the money necessarily. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was lucky because just growing up and being at Bears Paw, uh, the golf club for again my whole life, uh, because I had a ton of people out there who, knew me personally, but also knew me as a golfer. And so we kind of followed along kind of every step of the way. And so my first year I turned pro, I was able to raise about just between 40 and 45,000, um, to go and play. And so that, that covered it pretty well. Like expense wise, that's kind of what you'd look to spend for a year, like out there. Um, and that includes going down South. And so I went to Phoenix for about that first winter. I went to Phoenix for about five months. Um, just kind to train of, and, and just to practice, to yeah. Keep playing in the yeah, winter. just to practice. There's a bunch of tournaments you can play down there and all that. And so I went down there. So that was my first year. And then every subsequent year, I had like less and less money. <laughs> but so my last like three years, I was working up here all winter just to save enough to kind of get down to Phoenix. Like I was there for five months and then the next year, three months and then like six weeks, my last two years, which is, it's tough to do. It's tough to compete when you're playing against guys who are, playing year round. So that's the financial stuff is tough. It's, you know, a lot of people do it a whole bunch of different ways. Some people, um, like I did at the last couple of years, I set up 
like a partnership where people could buy shares in me, you know, they donate. And then if I win any money, a certain percentage goes back to them, which I never did. So nobody got anything out of it, but people, when they're, when they're trying to help out a golfer, like someone like they're, they're just doing it, trying to help out. Like no one's, you're not making any money off of it. Like it's so rare that you help somebody out when they're like me starting out and they make it all the way to the PGA tour. Like it's just, it doesn't happen that often. And so they're just trying to, you know, want to give me a shot, which was nice. And I was so thankful for, because without it, I wouldn't have been able to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I know we both know the struggle as well as coming from pretty niche sports. You don't really do it for the money, but uh, my question is what's your favorite course and who's the most famous golfer you've golfed with? Okay. Uh, my favorite course, I'd probably say there's a couple of them. There's one, it's called Southern Hills. It's in Tulsa. And so it's kind of hosted everything. It's hosted PGA Championships, US Opens. Um, they want to get a Ryder Cup, which is kind of next. But uh, we got to play there, call it three times a month when I was in university. It was like a mile from our campus. Uh, but it's one of the nicest courses in the country. And so it's, it's always wow. going to be up there. And then I got to play... Cabot Links a few years ago uh, when I was playing out on tour, we had an event out in Sydney, Nova Scotia, out in Cape Breton. And on the Tuesdays of our tournaments was always a pro-am day. It was only like top 32 guys on the money list type thing, which I was never in there. So you'd go find somewhere else. So we drove across the island and went and played Cabot Links twice, two years in a row when I was out there. And it's, it's incredible. It's a long ways, but it's one of the coolest properties I've ever seen. And then what was the second part of the question? Who's the most famous, um, golfer that you've golfed with um so the golf world's small as you can see so like any of the canadian guys that are out there right now um like nick taylor mackenzie hughes adam hadwin like i grew up with all those guys and so um the guys i like i mean they've all won now which is kind of cool but like i played in tournaments with ricky fowler jordan spieth um bryson DeChambeau a couple times like um but to play with, played with Tony Finau in a Canadian tour event one time. Um, he's a pretty, you know, he's doing pretty well these days. But those would be probably the biggest. Graham Dillette, like same thing. Like we all, if you play golf at a high enough level in Canada, you know everybody. <laughs> it's that small. Yeah. So it must be exciting to kind of see those guys really rise up in the last couple of years, those Canadian guys. I know um, we've had, even just to even see Canadians back on besides Mike Weir, essentially, to see more Canadian flags in the in the list is quite exciting, is it not? Oh, it's so much fun. Because again, you'd like, like I was funny. So Mackenzie Hughes, he's, you know, one of the top, he's top 100 in the world, I think right now. But so his, our first year on the Canadian tour, we played together the first three events and he missed all three cuts and I missed two of the three. And then he went on to win the money list. He finished like the next event, he finished second, won the event out in Cape Breton that I was talking about. And it's kind of taken off and same like Nick and Adam, we all hung out together down in Phoenix. we played and practice at the same course. So it's, it's really fun to be able to, A, like people like golf, such a like big game Like people love to talk about and hear about it. So people like to hear stories about, you know, watching this event. Like, yeah, that's, I know that guy, like I can send him a message right now. Like it's, it's fun to, <laughs> it's fun to be able to see it because it, it is, it's so hard to, so to be able to, you know, watch golf and see what guys have like how hard they've worked to get out there and then to see it pay off because it's, it's one of those sports that like, if you're not in the top 50 in the world, like you're fighting every year. Like one guy, when I was still playing, he told me, he's like, you're like one bad year and an injury from literally having nothing, like nowhere to play, 
no status, you lose your sponsorships. Like it's, it's not, it seems glamorous, but it's, it's not unless you're again in that like top 50 in the world type thing. Yeah. Unless it's pretty cutthroat like the rest of it. So when, how was the transition into coaching come about? Was it something that was just natural for you? Something that you started aspiring to? What led you to your position now? Um, yeah, it was, it was relatively seamless. I'd say like, I, I kind of knew I didn't want to play anymore. Um, there was a couple times, like there was one, so we had an event in Thunder Bay. I missed the cut. I didn't want to stick around anymore. So I started driving and I slept in my car in the Walmart parking lot in Brandon, Manitoba. It's <laughs> kind of like this, this isn't so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so that was the one. And then there was one other term that was just like this, I'm kind of done. And so I knew it. I wasn't having fun. And I like, I didn't want to be that guy who just like dragged it out again, minor league scrap it. Like you never have any money. And that, that part sucks. I mean, I was lucky. My wife, fiance, then wife, like she had a good job. We didn't have any kids. Like I didn't have anything that I had to be home for, but again, you never have any money at all. And so I've always liked dealing with people and helping people that side of things. And so I just kind of figured it's a very easy transition. Like I built up all this knowledge over the last, you know, 15 years of my life. Um, and I have experience to go behind it. So coaching seemed not seemed pretty simple, but it was something I like strove to do. Like I wanted to get into cause I knew that I had the ability to help people get better at golf. Mm-hmm. Nice. So where are you now? Like you've built up this business, you're a golf pro. Tell us a little, a little bit about that. So I'm the teaching professional at Earl Grey golf club. Now, uh, I started there just about a year ago, like end of January last year. Uh, so that's that's kind of the main spot I'm at. That's where I do everything in the summer. Um, you know, it's a it's an awesome golf course. The members are fantastic. The facility's great. And then I still teach a little on the side at a place called Dynamic Motion Golf Performance. So it's an indoor facility here in town, um, started by Wes Heffernan and his wife. And so it's the front house of Jim um, Shannon Heffernan. She's call her a mobility specialist. So she's basically the highest qualified golf fitness individual you could say in Alberta and so she deals with a lot of the movement side so how to help people either understand what's going on in their body um, how to make it stronger and more stable golf wise and then Wes and I teach in the back which is a golf facility so again main gig is at Earl Grey and then like winter stuff um, a lot of it's a dynamic motion. Cool and uh, I did read somewhere so Bears Paw was your home course growing up, yeah. and then yeah. obviously they had uh, some construction issues and the course yeah. kind of went under. Do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about that and how that impacted you personally? Because were you not trying to work there? Like that yeah. was like, yeah. So I my first two years teaching, uh, I taught at Inglewood, um, mm-hmm. which was good, a great place to start. Um, you know, the head pro there was Jeff McGregor. Like he, I didn't have any experience, and he took a shot, hired me, brought me in to teach there, and then I guess it was a year, two years ago, almost now, May of 20, where are we at? 2020, May of 2018. But yeah, I was supposed to go back and teach at Bears Paw. So Mm -hmm. they hired me to be a teaching professional out there, which was, again, I I grew up there. Like I spent my entire golf life there. And so I was supposed to go back. We had a new clubhouse coming, a new performance center um, beside the driving range. And so when everything started kind of falling apart, it it was twofold just from an employment standpoint, because that was my job. That's where I was supposed to go to work. And then just that personal side, because that was my life. Like my dad was still a member. Um, you know, everyone I knew from that community was still there. Like it was, I was really excited to go back because 
again, it was like going home. And so mm-hmm. when it shut down, it was, it was tough. Obviously you never want to see, it never should have happened. Um, you know, there's a list of reasons why it failed. Um, but yeah, it was tough. Like I, it was lucky for me because as a teaching pro, like a golf course doesn't have to pay me. I can just come in mo- like almost all of my money comes from lessons from students. So I'm easy to move around, but all the other staff out there, like they were some of my best friends and like now they're out of a job completely because of the failings of, you know, whoever we want to call it. Like it's, there was yeah. a lot that went into how that fell apart. Mm-hmm. So, um, you now, you mentioned, you know, when you were wrapping up your career, it was easy because you, you didn't have kids. So I know you have kids now. Um, are your kids into golf or, you know, do you, do you have to take one of them to the, to the golf course? Uh, yeah. So my son, Eddie, he's, uh, he just turned three, uh, a few weeks ago, but he is like over the moon obsessed with golf. So it started, it started last year. So the masters in 2019 tiger won. So my wife worked Sundays. Um, so I always had him at home on Sundays. And so that Sunday, obviously the, it started early too. So it was, there was a weather delay. And so the tea times, the leaders teed off at like nine, which our time, which normally they're not off to like one, one thirty type thing. And so we literally watched that entire round together. And I was getting into it cause I'm a huge tiger woods guy. Um, and he was watching. And so, like from that point of, we had little golf clubs for him, but he'd swing them around the house. And now like he wants to go to my work every day and we can take him <laughs> to the golf course. We've got a little par three course at Earl Grey, which is awesome. So he'll come out. Like I took him out there and he, he can play. So this was this summer. So he was like two and a half and he'd play six, seven, eight, sometimes nine holes and like hitting every shot. And so. He's, oh my gosh. I can't even very, do that sometimes. Yeah. He's very, very into it. And so, um, my wife's never getting away from golf, but then it, it'll be easier as he gets older. Cause you know, I can just bring him with me to work and let him go <laughs> live at the golf course. Like I did as a kid. Yeah. And like, so you said before that you mentioned that you, you played every sport growing up, like, yes, you lived at a golf course cause your dad loved to play, but you played every sport. How does that philosophy, like, do you believe in sports specialization? Are you going to have your kids try and play as many as possible? Where you yeah, stand on that? I, I think playing one sport, especially at a young age, to me, just it doesn't make sense because it's not that much fun. And then mm-hmm. be the other side of it is just like you don't learn. You don't learn how to move, especially in golf. Like swinging a golf club is one very specific move and you're only swinging it one direction. And so you you get very dominant on one side of the body. So I, I like strongly encourage all of my juniors. Like when I hear a kid or someone like say a young, young kid who's like 12 years old and they're saying, well, I'm going to. I'm going to not play hockey this winter to focus on golf. My first impression is like, well, you live in Calgary. What are you going to do for golf in the winter? Like there's <laughs> yeah, snow on the ground. Like when I was a kid, I, as soon as the, like, as soon as the golf course closed, the clubs went away. And honestly, I don't think I touched a golf club in the winter until I was like 16 or 17 years old. It was just like, well, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's hockey season there. Like when I was in Calgary, I played basketball, I played volleyball. Like it's, you just learn how to, you learn how to move. That physical literacy is so important. And there's so many other, sports where you gain skills that can apply to golf you know whether it's hand-eye coordination balance stability like all these things can make a difference and make you a better golfer down the road like it's i can't remember i think maybe bobby Orr says it, but he's like the best like the people are going to find the best players like they're going to become the best no matter what and so you don't need to 
you don't need to specialize, like especially in golf at an early, early age, because especially for me, the kids who were the best golfers when they were like 12, 13, 14, when I grew up, by the time they were like 18, 19, 20, didn't really care as much about golf anymore. They probably like, hated but, it at that point. Yeah, by, by the time they could make the choice as to how much they wanted to play, they were choosing something else. And so you can just see the kids who do other stuff when they are able to come back and play golf again. They're so fired up and they're so ready to go. And so, yeah, I don't, I don't like that specialization stuff <laughs> at a young age for sure. Yeah. Well, that's, that's good to know. I, I, I'm with you on that. Um, I know it's sometimes hard though. Like kids, they just sometimes pick something. They're just so laser focused, but I feel like yeah. as a parent or as a coach, you kind of have to be like, well, but there's all this other great stuff and try and distract them into, into, yeah. you're, you're like, it's for your own good. <laughs> yeah. It is it, like mentally and physically, right? Cause you do something one focus 12 months a year. I don't, you know, there's very, very few individuals that can stay focused for long stretches or for like years and years. And again, golf, golf's, it's a game. It's a sport, especially as a kid. Like it's not life and death. You're not out there trying to make a living playing golf. And so you don't want to put that much stress or pressure on yourself when it's the only thing you do. And so just from a, like from a mental standpoint too, like when I coach kids, even if they're some of the better kids, like some of the, you know, higher end juniors in our province, like I got to make sure I want to make sure they're having fun, you know, and they're, they're enjoying it. Like there's, they're still learning, but it can't just become this like, okay, you're here to work and that's it because you'll lose, you'll lose that pretty quick and then you just won't want to do it. And that's, that's no good for any of us. That's a great philosophy. When, so when you're coaching, you mentioned you coach these kids that are like going on to be, you know, higher level amateurs at a young age, but do you also coach um, people who may be just picking up the sport and how would you differentiate your, your style of coaching towards each of them? Um, yeah. So I do coach kind of everybody like that's, that's kind of how it starts out. Like I've only been, this is my fourth year, fourth year teaching. And so, again as you start you kind of have to say yes to everybody just so you can stay busy enough because you know you're not getting paid unless you're teaching people in and so it is very different like i use with my higher end students i use a lot of my a lot of my playing background um to work them through because i know i know what they're going through i know what they need to do to prepare for a tournament or to prepare for college or you know what do they need to practice or how do they need to practice because it's it's really different like the having a good golf swing does not mean you're going to be a good golfer. Like that's really important for kids and adults to understand. Cause you get a lot of people that just, they see they want their swing to look like this pretty picture and that's fine. But I know people who have perfect golf swings that can't hit a golf ball. You know, it's or can't play golf, you know, when it, yeah, when it matters. Sure. And so that's, there's so much more to it and learning how to play the game. So I spend a lot of my time with the high end, the high end students just like, okay, how do you like, how do you get the ball in the hole? That's what matters you know, making sure it's fun. Like I try and do a lot of competitive stuff. Like I'll do, especially the the top juniors and amateurs, like a lot of short game, like chipping, putting, like competitions, I'll do them with them or I'll, I'll, I push them to see if they can beat me, you know, and that's, that's important because it keeps, it's fun for me. It keeps me make sure I practice because I, I don't want to lose to them yet. Um, but that's, that's where you learn. Like when it's, when it's that competitive side of it, you know, that's when you get the best. Cause that's, you go to a PGA tour event you're going to see guys having chipping contests. You're going to see guys having putting contests. Cause that's, it's, it's fun, but that's how you create practice. Like it is on the golf course. Mm-hmm. And then for, like you asked too, with, for younger kids, like we're just getting into it. 
it's all about like finding a way for them to enjoy it. Like, cause if even adults, again, I mean, too. yeah, for anybody who's new, like, again, my number one goal when I first a student that comes to me is I want them to want to play golf more. Okay. And so that's it. And like, whether if they get better too, perfect, but some people getting, getting better doesn't mean they're going to have more fun and want to play golf more. Cause it's like, I know for a fact, some of the most miserable people I've ever played with on a golf course are some of the best players. Like being good at golf and having fun at golf, there's zero correlation, like zero. And so if I can instill, whether it's managing expectations or learning to not take it so seriously, like any of those things to help, help them want to have more fun or help them have more fun and then want to play more. For me, that's, that's doing my job because again, if you're not having fun, you're not going to do it. And that's, the goal is to get them to the golf course more often. So it's just, it's finding that balance, finding what, what each person needs to help spur them on, whether it's just telling them to stop focusing on all the rules and just mm-hmm. go and play and have fun because nobody cares. Like nobody, nobody cares about like you and your own golf game. It's just you. It doesn't matter to anybody else. So yet so many people worry about what other people think about it. And so it's yeah. just like a lot of conversations, just talking and explaining this stuff helps people feel more comfortable which then gets them to the golf course more often. Do you have, what you would you say, what was your favorite part about the golf game? Is it, would you say you're a specialist in anything, whether it be like driving, short game, putting? Yeah, my, for sure it's like short game and putting. Okay. So again, like I, I, the biggest reason I couldn't make it playing golf, like as a pro is because I don't hit the golf ball far enough. Like it is just, it's so essential in today's game. Like you have to, there's like a threshold you have to be at to be able to compete and like not to get too technical, but like you need ball speed is one thing they talk about. And you need to be hitting it with a driver at least like 160. When I started now, it's like probably up to 165 off the tee. And I was like 10 miles an hour too slow. So I just don't hit it far enough. My margins get way too small. And so I had to rely on my short game and my putting. And so that's like for sure for me now as a coach, I love teaching that stuff because again, it's, like near and dear to me, you know, I love reading about it, learning, talking about it. So yeah, I I have a lot of people that come to me specifically for short game help for whether it's like anything around the green, any of the finesse shots or um, even more so putting. Well, it is winter. So I know, you know, it's tough to get out golfing right now, but you talk a lot about the short game. How can people at home, our listeners maybe get better? Is there a product you would recommend maybe to work on their short game? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's lots of stuff. Like the one thing that I I've sold a bunch of my students, it's, it's called a well putt mat. Um, and so it's just, it's a practice putting mat that rolls up like a yoga mat that has a bunch of different drills and games that you can play. So it's, it's very meaningful practice because there's, and just like doing anything helps, but I like him because I got him myself because I wanted to try it out and I see that it works. Like it gives you something to do when you're practicing because that's, you know, from all year round when I'm talking to my students is making sure like, it's not just going and putting in the time. Like if you're going to work on something, like focus on it and work on it. Don't, don't just go and swing the club or hit a putt without any intention. And so that's, that's probably my favorite thing to practice for inside, but honestly, anything works too. Like you can chip into a couch, you can putt on your hardwood floor on your carpet, like just, just doing anything with the right, with the right, mindset and having some type of goal or intention will it'll get you better for sure 
I would do anything to have one of those mats in my quarantine right now. How much fun would that be just around this hotel room, just <laughs> cutting around? Yeah. Well, I've got one, it. like, obviously, you can't see it, but I've got one on my floor right there. That I'm just like, ready to go at any yeah. moment. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's good. Because, it, 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 again, it gives you something to do. Like, just if you're watching TV, like, let me grab a pot and some pots. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, what about COVID and how, like, Golfing this year was a little different. They had to change some of the rules. Did that affect your business at all? Uh, very much so in a positive manner. Like this oh. year, like golf, throughout the entire golf industry, this was like a banner year. Like it was one of because the... Because it was the only thing we were allowed to do. <laughs> yeah. Like it was, it was incredible for lessons. Like, you know, I'm lucky that like being at Earl Grey, like um, a lot of members had time they had time to do and they had lots of like excess money that they weren't spending traveling or you know any of this stuff so they spent it on golf and so like i had by far my busiest year ever from a teaching standpoint um and that too like you said like when you get to the golf course like you're naturally socially distant right like you're not standing close to anybody because they're swinging a golf club and then your space between groups and so it's it was relatively normal um compared to the rest of the world, which was, it was strange because you talk to everybody um, throughout various industries and like their lives are changed so dramatically and you get to the golf course and it's like, it was different once you get inside, like you get inside the clubhouse and, you know, in the pro shop and all that. But like when you're out on the golf course, it's probably as normal as you could get for most things. And so it was crazy. Like this year was insane for, like, I'm sure like you guys played golf, like, trying to get a tea time. <laughs> like I, play, I played the most golf I ever had in my entire life this year. And yeah, it was like, you had to book your tea time at 6am if you wanted to yeah. do it in the first four days later, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So it was like one of, we were one of the industries that definitely benefited from this because people could do it. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And another thing I wanted to ask you about was how did you get involved with kids sport and be a fellow ambassador with Chris and I? Okay. So when I was, this was when I was still playing, um, I was home in the winter and was just kind of looking for something to get involved in. Um, and so I sent an email out to Kevin, just, I'd heard about kids sport, um, researched it a little bit. And, you know, obviously like I've talked about before, like sport was a massive influence on my life. Like probably 85, 90% of my friends I met through playing or met playing sports. Um, it's what I want to do in my spare time, what I still do. And so it just, it made sense to me to get involved in something like this. Now I didn't have any money to donate. Like I told you, I had like less than $0 in my bank account. And so the one thing I could do is like, whether it's my time or, you know, help out golf wise. So I set up a, got in touch with Kevin. Uh, he kind of explained how the process works, what they're looking for. And we figured out what, you know, what type of things I could do to be involved. And that was, that must've been like, I want to say it was like 2014 maybe. So 20 yeah probably like 2014 ish maybe that winter and so from then i've been involved and just it's it's a blast because i can like getting to talk to kevin you know see all of you we can see the impact it has like i couldn't imagine not playing sports as a kid so the idea that some kids can't because they can't afford it you know it, it makes it easy to do everything we can to you know to give back to contribute whether it's with our time or you know being around at events or I donated a ton of bottles that I had stored up from the quarantine in the spring. So like anything we can do. So it's just, it's, it's so simple and it was so easy for me to get involved in because it makes so much sense. 
Yeah. And a big shout out to the Kidsport Recycling Program. Um, You can find it on the Kidsport website. It's amazing. And yes, you don't have to go anywhere. They come, you put it outside when you arrange a time and they come pick it up from your house. So after lockdown 2.0, get your bottles into Kidsport. Holiday bottles. There's a lot of them. Give them to yeah. the kids, guys. <laughs> yeah, it's, you, you, they, they call you, hey, we're going to be here. You have the bottles waiting. They come and grab them and take them away. It's it's the easiest way to donate something. All you got to do is drink. <laughs> <laughs> it's all you got to do. It's easy yeah. to do in the holiday season. Yeah. Um, well, Scott, we just want to just thank you so much for coming and joining you. We could talk to you all day about more specifics. You're just so knowledgeable and, and, uh, it was great to get a, a kind of a, a summer sport perspective here on our podcast on the face first podcast. Talk to a lot of winter athletes. So thank you so much for taking the time and joining us today. Yeah, you bet. Anytime. If you want to talk about anything else, I can, I'm around. <laughs> Sounds good. And one last thing, how can we find you, um, like on social media, if someone wants help with their golf game? Uh, so both of my stuff, I'm mostly Twitter and Instagram, but it's Scott Styles Golf, all one word, um, on both those S T I L E S. But yeah, that's that's kind of the easiest way because I'm around. I like if anybody has any questions, but I'll by all means send them my way. It's, if we're gonna be stuck inside, we might as well be learning something. So. <laughs> awesome! Thanks so much for joining us. You bet. Thank you very much for having me. That was a blast. All right, Thanks, Scott. See you. Okay, see you guys. Interested in volunteering at future Sport Calgary events? Visit sportcalgary.ca to get involved. Remember the feeling of lacing up your skates? Pulling that jersey over your head for the first time? What about cheering on your teammates in the final seconds of a game? Imagine you never had the opportunity to make those memories. Many kids don't. The power of sport is in how it shapes you in these special moments. It's the memories you cherish today and the stories you tell tomorrow. It nurtures our growth and strengthens our community. Now you can help create lasting memories and fill the gap for other kids who want to play. Help Kidsport get more kids off the sidelines and into the game and give the gift of sport today by visiting www.kidsport.ca slash gift of sport.